Now you can have seats. All right. And knowing me, I need to move this slightly away. You could probably hear me without it, those who know me. Wow, it is just so good to be here with the Shoreline! Woo! And of course, again, my gratitude to uh, Gio and Karen, just an amazing couple. I'm so glad they're here serving you. Uh, we enjoy seeing them throughout the years, and it's uh, just great to be back with so many of you. It's great to see the faces that we recognize, even greater the ones we don't, because it means God has added to this family, and I believe he wants to continue to do that. You know, just a, a brief, just some good things going on in Dallas. Uh, God has really been blessing the Dallas church. It's getting stronger and healthier every year. Uh, since 2008, we've seen over 265 baptisms. Uh, so we're averaging about 60 a year. We're heading toward almost 1,000 membership. We're, that's our goal this year. But we've also seen over 50 restorations. So we see people returning. But some of the key things that have been highlights for us is campus ministry. Just four years ago... For a church of almost 900, we, we barely had 20 campus disciples. And we decided, you know what, we have got to invest in this. And so the church really sacrificed, and we started hiring interns in each region. We now have 98 campus disciples in the DFW church. The other thing that I really champion, I, I love campus ministry, but I love singles. Because the DFW Metroplex is 60% single. But in the church, it's only about 10% single. That's not right. we got to get that up. And so I've been fighting for years for the singles ministry. You know, Leanne and I were both appointed as, as evangelist women ministry leader as singles. We weren't even dating. We started dating the next week. But, you know, I was like, if I'm going to do this, I need a woman with me, you know. But, uh, you know, what's amazing is just this year we got to hire a full-time couple just for the singles ministry. And so we're really excited about that. But uh, it is great to be here. And I think, okay, what do I share? I've got years of lessons. What am I going to share with you guys? And I, you know, I get insecure just like anyone else. Like, man, I hope it's the right one. And, but it's great talking to Gio. I hear he's been focusing on marriage. You're excited about that, right? Okay. Uh, you might need to continue the series. Uh, yeah, yeah, they're convicted. Okay. So I thought, well, maybe then I should go to the next level, parenting. And that's where I'm at in life. I've got two teenagers. The second one is studying, and there's a lot of humbling things I can share with you. And I figure that's probably the best thing I can do. Amen. And so last year, for pretty much the first eight months of the year, I did a series every Sunday on the major and minor prophets. And there was something that took place as I was preparing for that, that why did we even get to that point? But before I get there, you probably want to see a little bit of our family. Here's our kids now. You can see how big they are. Haley, who's been a disciple now almost three years. Joshua, he's uh, 14, going to be uh, 14 this May. And then Emma, who is uh, our surprise gift. <laughs> and she is eight, so great family. We're so excited. Just uh, God has blessed us with them. But you can see those who knew them when they were really tiny, yeah. they've grown quite, Katie especially. She, she knew Josh when he was a baby. So it's, it's pretty amazing what God is doing. But I'll share a lot more just what God has been doing in my life as a husband, as a father, that I think will help. But going back to the prophets, this is the title lesson, The Children and the Prophets. And I go, what's that got to do with the prophets? Well, what got to the point that God even had to send the prophets? Where was the nation of Israel? What had they done wrong that God had to send the prophets to change things? And when you look at and study out any of the prophets, here's some of the things that they deal with, some of the main issues, which I think are very important. Let's see if this will work again. There we go. 
What are some of the key things? The first thing that they address is social injustice. It's very important to a lot of the message of the prophets. Unrighteous living. Even the priests are condemned in this. Religious hypocrisy. Notice this sounds very familiar to today's society. We're not even done with the list yet. Idolatry. Big issue. That's a big issue to today. It's not just golden calves anymore, is it? <laughs> greed. You think of most sins, money is usually behind it. There's a greed behind a lot of it. Dishonesty. Something we can all struggle with. And superficial worship. <laughs> they came together. They went to the temple. They offered sacrifices. But something was wrong in their hearts. It's amazing when you look at the history of Israel. From this victory of entering the promised land in about 1400 B.C. To a divided kingdom in 930 B.C. A time frame of less than 500 years. Let's see how the scriptures, we'll go through these quickly. Let's describe that process. How did that happen? Starts off in Joshua 1, it's pretty encouraging actually. Verse 16 through 18. Then they answered Joshua, whatever you have commanded us, we will do. And whatever you send us, we will go. Just as we fully obeyed Moses, so we will obey you. Whoever rebels against your word and does not obey your words, whatever you may command them will be put to death. That's pretty radical. How many of us would have died in that process? (laughs) Only be strong and courageous. Sounds like a great beginning. They're about to enter the promised land that they've been waiting for. And isn't that what we all want as families? Whether you're single, married, teen, student, doesn't matter. We want the promised land. And despite just a few setbacks, they entered that promised land. They conquered its nations. And the land was divided between the 12 tribes of Israel. And then we see this in Joshua chapter 2, verse 14 through 15. Now fear the Lord and serve him with faithfulness. Throw away the gods your forefathers worshipped beyond the river and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods of your forefathers served beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living, but as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. But then just a little bit later, Joshua, this is a good ending to his life. Israel served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who had outlived him and who had experienced everything the Lord had done for Israel. So far, so good. Great beginning. During his lifetime, he served the Lord. And then the people did as well. But as soon as he passed, it started going downhill real fast. There's something they didn't learn that was very clear from the commands of God. Then we see this in Judges, just one book later. Let's see if it'll move again. There we go. Technology has its limitations. <laughs> After that, the whole generation had been gathered to their fathers, another generation grew up, and that will continue until God returns. Who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals. They forsook the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of Egypt. They 
They followed and worshipped various gods of the peoples around them. They provoked the Lord to anger because they forsook him and served bells and Ashereths. Only one generation. How could that happen? God would then allow the surrounding nations to raid and plunder them for years. But however, even in this, in his grace, he would raise up judges to save them. We see this in Judges chapter 2. Whenever the Lord raised up a judge for them, he was with the judge and saved them out of the hands of their enemies as long as the judge lived. We tend to rely more on people than God, don't we? For the Lord had compassion on them as they groaned under those who oppressed and afflicted them. But when the judge died, the people returned to ways even more corrupt than those of their fathers. And I always pray, God, please don't let me die to test whether people are faithful. But he may. Following other gods and serving and worshiping them, they refused to give up their evil practices and stubborn ways. Not looking good for Israel, is it? In fact, eventually we see this at the end of Judges. We're not even doing another book yet. And look where it ends up. In those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did as he saw fit. This would eventually lead them to want a king. Saul would be the first, only to eventually be replaced by David. But even that glory would soon end. After Solomon, the kingdom would be divided. The northern kingdom would all be led by evil kings, not one good one among them. And the southern kingdom would only have a few of their kings be considered, be considered good in the eyes of the Lord. It was at this time that the prophets would enter the scene to confront Israel. So what happened? Why even the need for the prophets? What is the common foundational issue that we can surmise from this abbreviated history? And there's a lot more. I think the key was with what Joshua said at the beginning. As for me and my household, my family, we will serve the Lord. Amen. That's where it faltered. And I think we can all talk about, we want to grow, we want to see things happen, we can come with all kinds of plans and programs. But guys, the greatest way God has moved in mankind has always been through family. That's right. He called Abraham not to be a king of nations, a father of nations. Mm -hmm. Family. Noah, family. You just keep going through the Bible. What does God always use to advance his kingdom? Family. Even Jesus had pairs of brothers in his group. Family. There's people that sometimes ask, how is it working with your father in love? I call it in love because in law sounds legal. It's awesome. Isn't that weird? No. Because God uses family. How incredible it was when my daughter Haley was baptized and I saw three generations of disciples. Sally, Leanne. And Haley, I'm looking for that fourth generation when that day comes. Shouldn't you be? Yeah. Guys, the issue was family. You want to grow shoreline? Do what you've been doing. Focus on your marriage because that was the original family. There were no children in Eden. That's why when you think you build family by focusing on your children, you're wrong. Every child's a blessing. Whether you're a single parent or not, they're a blessing. But true family starts with a husband and wife, and that's why I'm glad you've been preaching that. But those of us who have kids, and even those who don't, still listen up, because one day you may. But even if you don't, the principles applied to family help all of us be the disciples God wants us to be. So what was the disobedience? 
What was it that went wrong? Some very key passages from Deuteronomy. We'll go through those real quick here. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 9. Only be careful. Only. Here, here's the commands. As you're about to go in the promised land, you're about to go into your journey together, as you're about to be a part of God's family, God's kingdom, God's nation, this is the thing he wants you to focus on. Go grow, multiply, baptize, evangelize, give your country. No, none of that. <laughs> Doesn't mention any of that. Those are important. Yep. They are commands and examples in the Bible, but this is what he focuses on. Yeah. Only be careful and watch yourself closely so that you do not forget the things your eyes have seen or let them slip from your heart. That's a scary thought. As long as you live. Teach them to your children and to their children after them. What do we see just from the abbreviated history did not happen. They didn't teach their children. They forgot they were children of an almighty, almighty father. You look at this one in Deuteronomy 4.25. After you have had children, see God knows where they were going, and grandchildren, and have lived in the land a long time, if you have become corrupt and make any kind of idol, doing evil in the eyes of the Lord your God and provoking him to anger, I call heaven and earth as a witness against you this day that you will quickly perish from the land, that you are crossing the Jordan to possess. You will not live long there, but will certainly be destroyed. It says you're going to have children, but if you didn't do the first thing I said to train them, this is what's going to happen. Guys, even in our own kingdom, our own movement, what's really been the area that's hurt us the most? When we don't focus on our family. When we focus more on ministry. We've seen ministers fall to the wayside because of that. I promised God a long time ago, if me being in the ministry hurts my children having a chance, take me out. Because my children are more important than my ministry job. And I... And I I'm ashamed that I even considered it a job. It's not a job, it's a calling. It's one I even stepped out of. But it kept calling me back, I couldn't resist. Amen? But I will give it up in a second. If it's not helping me to focus on raising my family or my church family to focus on those things. Deuteronomy 4, 40. Keep his decrees and commands which I am giving you today so it may go well with you and your children. Anyone want it to go well with you? Yes. yes. Do you want to go well with your children? Yes. Their children? Yes. Then it says, listen up. <laughs> listen to his commands. Not your opinion. Not your feeling. Not what the movies or TV shows tell you about parenting. It's sad what you see there. Particularly the degradation of men. Yeah. Yes. It's a big issue today. I'll get to that later says, after you and that you may live long in the land the Lord your God gives you for all time. Mm -hmm. Who doesn't want that? Come on. But you've got to listen to his commands. And then Deuteronomy 6, you're going to remember this one. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Mm -hmm. These commandments I give you today to be upon your heart, not your mind. Mm -hmm. It's not about knowledge. But gain knowledge. Seek wisdom. But if it doesn't go from here to here, you're going to miss the whole boat. Yep. It's got to come to our hearts. Amen. 
Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands. Bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Who've heard, who's heard of this passage? Who's obeying it? See, we all we also go. I, 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 uh, I'm right there with you guys. Okay, that's what I'm going to be sharing the rest of this message. Is where I've seen I have failed at one of the most important. If there's only one thing God tells me, it says, "Teach and train your children." Why did the prophets have to come? Because they did not do that. Maybe God will have to send some more prophets to our society if we don't get this straight. The key word, impress. Here's the Hebrew word. I won't even attempt to say it correctly in Hebrew. <laughs> what does that mean? Well, to impress or repeat. What it denotes is this image of an engraver who takes a hammer and chisel in hand with painstaking care. Because if you blow it, you're going to have to restart and etches a text or an image into a solid stone or wood. Why is this important? Because if you just wrote on it, it could fade. It could wash away. It could be scraped off. But when you impress it, no matter what conditions surround it, it stays. Are we impressing on our children? It implies that it will become permanent in their lives. You know, a Russian parable says the mother of all learning is repetition. I think there's some truth to that. So we see it's impression, it's consistency, it's repetition. Let's go to another passage in Deuteronomy that rephrases what we heard earlier. Deuteronomy chapter 11 says this in verse 19. Teach them to your children, talking about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates, so that your days and the days of your children may be many in the land that the Lord swore to give your forefathers, as many as the days that the heavens are above the earth. That first one, talk about impressing on your children. It's permanent. It's long-lasting. Even when they leave you, they're not going to forget it. You know, we've seen a lot of kids not become disciples. We led the teen ministry for years here in L.A., but also in, in Dallas when we went back in the ministry. We had a lot of teens in Dallas, over 100 that were not baptized. Praise God, things have really changed. We've seen double digits of teens getting baptized since then. And it's continuing to grow. But one of the things you really see is that they, they, some of them just don't get it in those teen years. This is why I'm excited speaking to you because most of you have younger kids. If you can learn these lessons now, you're not going to go through what we had to go through. Awesome. But what was amazing is what you do in the Lord is never in vain. And many of these kids, who these parents were awesome parents. Whoever says that, well, your kids are bad, you're bad. We're all bad, so let's stop pointing fingers, okay? I've seen great parents have terrible kids, and I've seen bad parents have great kids. Somewhere in there is free will, but don't be a bad parent because that hurts their chances. But God is sovereign. 
And it's amazing to see a lot of these kids, even though they went pretty south in many ways, sins that you would never expect even kingdom kids to get into. But because something was impressed, when it came time for them to see their need for God, and honestly, that's what everyone needs to get to before they can become a disciple. How many of us became disciples much later in life? You know what I mean? So there's hope for every one of our kids. Okay? Look at your own life and you go, oh, my kid's way better off than I was. You know what I'm saying? We got hope here. But how many of them in the college years have become Christians? Many of them even serving in the teen ministry that they didn't want to be a part of before. So that's, we, we got to say impression is important. Nothing you do is in vain in the Lord. But then what about this next aspect? The teaching and training. Lama, this is the Hebrew word. This is in reference to training. It's to learn, to train for, to be trained, to teach, to instruct, cause to learn, to be trained. With implication that the learning will be put to use. It's not just saying one thing in one ear and coming out the other. It's one ear going here to the heart and then you see the change in their life. But that takes time. Which a lot of us don't make the time for. You know, anyone who w wants to be physically fit understands without training it will never happen. Right. Yeah, you know, I'm a big P90X guy. Done it three times. I just finished P90X2. <laughs> it's no joke. <laughs> Yoga, I will never laugh about in my life again. <laughs> That's the hardest one of them all. And I'm like dripping sweat and I haven't even left this little area. <laughs> but then I started thinking, I'm willing to, to, to find time for that. Even if it's till midnight, I'll do workouts. But how much time am I putting in to train my kids? That was convicting. So I think with Haley, things were fairly easy. And don't get me wrong, I did think she was demon-possessed as a younger child. <laughs> but we connected more. I was more a natural connection with her. But now that Josh is starting to get older, we were bumping heads. Something just I couldn't repeat the same cookie cutter. Right. Every kid is different. And, and Leanne was trying to help me see it, but I was just being stubborn. I wasn't making the time to change myself. Here I'm expecting my 14-year-old with hormones, no Spirit of God in him, to change, where here I'm 44 with the Spirit of God, been a disciple for 20 years, not changing? How hypocritical is that? And it was very challenging to see. See, in this passage, it used the word teach in reference to training your children. The expected result of this training is that they don't just get knowledge. They learn how to apply it. I have a strong feeling that our personal example is the key to this transfer of God's commands. Your children see everything. They know how you're really doing. How is your personal example? It's clear that where Israel truly failed was obeying these clear commands mm. to train their children in the ways of the Lord. Mm. You know, these verses that we read in Deuteronomy 6 and in chapter 11 are called the Shema, which is a Hebrew word for hear. Mm. You get that a lot in the scriptures, don't you? Yeah. Even Jesus says, if you have ears, if you have ears, let them hear. Right. And don't we want our children to hear, by the way? Yeah, yeah we do. It implies that God is such a reality in the family life that we should naturally talk about Him at any moment. 
at any moment. I remember one situation God had to humble me. You know, those of you who have boys, video games, can we talk about that? Yeah. And then the kind of video games. Yes. He wanted to get these war games. I was like, okay, aliens, Lord of the Ring monsters, I'm cool with that. But humans killing, I, I just, but then one day he just come up, well, Dad, you play games. I was, I was a kind of World of Warcraft guy. These are fantasy characters. They aren't human beings. But I've gotten rebuked by my wife at times for that not being the right priority in my life. But he brought it up. He's like, well, Dad, what about you? And I'm like, why you bring that up? <laughs> and he goes, well, I mean, you're doing it. Now, what was interesting is I knew what he was doing. He was trying to manipulate me to allow him to get the game he wanted. So I had to make a choice. What's more important, this game or me training his heart? So I said, you know what? And, I, and it was right before Christmas, so I was going to get the upgrade. In fact, I had already bought it. And I, and I go, you know what, Josh, you're right. If you think what I'm doing is a stumbling block to you, I, I feel you are more important than that, come with me. He's like, what? No, you were right. Come with me. And I went to the store, and I, I had him see me sell it back. Yeah. And I gave it up completely, haven't played it since. Wow, that's amazing. And he later came back like, Dad, I didn't think you were going to do that. <laughs> I, I, thought, I was hoping that I could manipulate. He was honest. But you know what? There was a blessing not only in that particular training. Yeah. I suddenly had all this more time to be present mm. for my children. The thing I'm most ashamed of early on in our marriage, and particularly as a young parent, is I'll be honest, I defaulted all the discipline to her. Because that's kind of how my family was. Yeah. My mom was the disciplinary. <laughs> Boy, could she. <laughs> Latin woman. Don't mess with her. You know? <laughs> My, my sister, by the way, is here, which is great, and her husband, Kristen and Tim. It's great to have you here. We're looking forward to spending time. I needed to change if I was going to train my kids. So I want to talk very briefly here as I know the clock is ticking. What are some components that we need to focus on if we're going to truly obey God's commands and see our children and their children be what God calls them? First thing is we're going to need family in the church. It takes a village, right? Yes. We need family in the church. I mean, we are so blessed, blessed that we get to raise our families with others around us. Yeah. Oh, yeah. How many people are trying to do it all on their own? And right. it's a shame if you're trying to do it all on your own when you don't have to. Yeah. Right. We have an amazing church family to support us. You know, we have recently made a big shift in our region. We have a lot of teens. Okay? And we have a lot of preteen. In fact, every year we get 20 new kids coming into our teen ministry. They are fruitful in Texas. I got house churches. If you don't have five kids, you can't be a part of it. I'm dead serious. I mean, it's like they obey that command, go forth and multiply. I mean, they obey that one. But for years, I was like, I know we need to pull these families with teens together because it's almost too late. That's why I'm excited for you guys. You get to know this early so that you won't have to go through some of the hiccups we have had to go through. That's exciting. But the problem was, is a lot of my parents of teens were my leaders of other house churches. And I was afraid to, to make that change. Problem was, the kids are doing so bad, they'd stepped out of leadership anyway. So just last year, we decided we got to take the risk. So I took all those leaders who have teens and their siblings, and we made those the house churches. 
We even meet at midweeks of just the parents, the teens, and their siblings together. Sometimes we'll split up men and women. Sometimes we'll split up teens, parents, but we're working together. And it's been amazing because suddenly we realized we're not the only ones struggling of how to raise our kids. The interaction. You know, there's in India, they, they did a lot of, in Indonesia, John Louis has done some research. You know what the average percentage of kingdom kids becoming Christians is worldwide? 30%. The Mormons are at 70%. John Louis said it's got to change. Currently, in Indonesia, 80% of their kids are becoming disciples. Why? They focused on it. And one of the key ingredients they notice is that for a teen to not only become a Christian and stay a Christian, they need at least five adult relationships. See, what I realized is for years we so separated our ministries from each other, we weren't able to even fulfill the commands. But when I brought them all back together, it's amazing the things that started to happen. We need each other. Then you might think, well, but, but this is going to get us away from evangelism if we focus on our event. Really? God wasn't worried about it. Let me show you the proof. As we started to do this, it was amazing we started working together. There's a teen disciple, a girl, great family. She reached out to this teen boy at her school. Because we got a couple girls that are disciples there, but no guys. So she reached out to him. Cool guy. They're, they're in the band together. He came down to our summer camps. Love summer camps. Get your kids to camp, man. It's awesome. He loved it. So he started to come to church. So his parents, of course, what is he being a part of? What's this crazy group? Now, the coolest thing is because we're connected, family and children, it was such a natural thing to reach out to the parents. And so the, the whole house group of families, we started meeting in our house churches. We'd meet outside of that. Eventually, he becomes a Christian, the son. And, and, they, and I had to have a family talk with the non-Christian parents. You're like, really? You did that? Absolutely. I want them to know what their son's getting involved in. What was amazing is just several months later, his dad became a Christian. And what's so funny, he goes, do we get to have the family talk? I go, it, it's usually just for teens, but if you want it, we'll do it. I mean, year later, the mom has become a Christian. Now, that, that boy and that daughter, that other girl, they're dating, pure, pure relationship. And they're leading a Bible talk where they're seeing double-digit visitors every week on their high school campus. And one of them is even studying right now. Focusing on a family is not going to hurt our evangelism. It's going to help it. Your kids are your best tool. They'll say the blunt things you're afraid to say. Right? Here's another area where the church family is important. Children's ministry. Do you thank your children's ministry people? You need to. My kids had some of you as their children's ministry teachers. You bore fruit. Yep. When my daughter got baptized, that was your fruit too. That's right. If you're married and you have children, and you're not serving in children's ministry, repent. Amen. Amen. Why are you expected to get the rewards and not invest in it? Amen. But even if you're not married, don't have children, you serve in children's ministry, because one day you may. <laughs> and you need to learn how to work with kids, how to work with other adults. It's awesome. Yeah. So be thankful. But do not make the mistake that our children will be trained and impressed upon through church activity. Look at this video. This, this video is pretty 
Shocking. We can have the sound on it. There are 52 weeks in a year. That means that there are 52 weekends that a person could possibly come to church. 52 weeks that a child could come to experience children's ministry at your church. But we know that with vacations, sickness, travel for sports, a perfect attendance record at church is not particularly realistic, according to research by Reggie Joyner. A child in a family that normally attends church is attending approximately 40 weekends a year, 40 hours, that the children's ministry has to lead and foster the spiritual direction of your child. 40 hours a year. That's it. However, a parent or legal guardian of that same child has approximately 3,000 hours with which to teach, communicate, and lead. Not 40. 3,000. So, who should be in charge of our children's spiritual formation? Deuteronomy 6 says it this way. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give to you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road. When you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Your children's ministry has 40 hours. You have 3,000. 3,000 hours to lead and foster the spiritual direction of your child. So is it possible that what happens at home is more important than what happens at church? That's convicting. When I first saw that video, I'm like, ooh. <laughs> Am I even giving 40 hours to training my children? It's very clear, guys, whose responsibility it is to raise our children. It's the parents. I'm thankful for the family in the church. Don't get me wrong. We need it. But at the end of the day, when you stand before God to be accountable to yourself and to your family, it's up to you. You know, I think one of the biggest problems in today's society is we focus on achievement rather than character. If you focus on achievement with your kids, they will be influenced to become like the world. But if you focus on character, they will become like Christ. What are we doing? What are you spending more time on? Going to the soccer games, music classes, this and that? Or having a quiet time with them in the morning? Having family devotionals consistently at least once a week? What are you doing? What are you training into them? This leads to the second component. Family in our homes. You know, as we teach and train our children... We need to understand something about normal human development. This little chart I'm going to show you changed the way I parent. It made me think of the right things. We need to understand this, how authority and influence affect our children as they grow to maturity. Let me show you this chart. You see up at the top is leading by authority. Down at the bottom, leading by influence. And then the age of the child. What do you notice? As they're young... How do we lead our children? Because we're bigger, stronger, and they do what we say. But if you try to have authority when they start hitting the preteens, it's gone, guys. You have no more authority in their mind. You can keep trying to be authority. It won't work. You'll push them away. So what do you need to start developing as they get to that age? Influence. Absolutely. Here's the problem, though. How do you have 
influence with your children? There's three key areas in order to have influence. Number one, presence. You've got to be around. And I don't just mean be in the same room with them. You doing one thing, them doing another. Actually engaging, talking. Put the phone away. Put the games away unless it's a board game that you interact with. Go camping. Get away from it all. You've got to be present. How many years? I let all that to Leanne. And even though I was in the same home, I wasn't present. I'd hear something going on in the other room. I'd just wait for Leanne to deal with it. To my shame. Now, as when I hear something, especially if it's disrespect toward her, <laughs> come here, boy. I need to be present. And it's hard because I'm stinkingly selfish in my sinful nature. Are you present, dads? Are you present, moms? The second is communication. And I don't mean emails and texting. You're getting more trouble trying to communicate through those means. Man, if people start sending me a text longer than a sentence, say, call me, is my return text. I am not going to text you back a conversation. Call me. That's what the phone's for. Right? But how much are we really communicating in our home? Do you even have dinner together? Some of the greatest things you can do. But then the third is this one. Personal example. Without these three components, you realize you have no influence. And then if they're at age 10 to 12, you have also no authority, which means you have nothing to train your children. Nothing. And you're wondering why things are going south. It's time to repent. It's time to be a family in our homes. You know, in the teens, we hired a great couple, the Garcias. They were from L.A., actually which is awesome. We're just very thankful to them. They did a survey with our teens. And one of the questions dealt with the consistency of family devotionals. It revealed that almost half of our team ministry said it was seldom, if at all. Hey, I understand life is busy. I'm sure the Israelites had a lot to do. But what are our priorities? We need to make sure we're making a priority of focusing on our families. We should have at least one family devotional a week. We need to have some meals together. We need to have some time for prayer time. That was something I realized is my kids don't really know how I pray because it's just that little goodnight prayer. But man, when, when, when Haley took a walk with Leanne and she heard Leanne's prayer, she's like, whoa, that's what prayer is? It's like, wow, you know, is my son learning how I pray? Well, that's my own personal time with God. Yes, it is, but you better share it with your children because they need to learn how to have a personal relationship with God. Right. We need to be talking about our faith, both the struggles and the victories. I have learned that my apologies to the family have done more to teach and train my children than everything I do right. <laughs> so I may not always be the best example to my children, but I will be the greatest example of repentance I can be. <laughs> and I've seen it really change the hearts. Get advice. Seek training. Educate yourself. I read about three books a month on marriage, on parenting, on ministry. I want to educate myself. I don't want to ever settle and think I know enough. I don't. Invest in your families. Here's another quick little video. Your children need you. Mm -hmm. Come on. 
please the crowd. I'll find myself running to please the crowd. I'll need you to remind me that I should obey God. That I should obey God. I'll act like I don't have any problems. I'll need you to show me how to share my struggles with others. I want to have a lot of money so I can buy what I want. I'll need you to teach me that my things belong to God. That my things belong to God. I'll struggle with my looks and appearance. I'll need you to remind me that God wasn't fully made me. I'll tell you to think about myself before others. I'll need you to teach me that the last will become first. The last will become first. The last will become first. I'll think I'm a lot smarter than I actually am. I'll think I'm a lot smarter than I actually am. I'll need you to show me how to learn from God's wisdom. I want to avoid hard conversations. I want to avoid hard conversations. I'll need you to show me how to speak the truth in love. In love. I'll look for happiness in many different places. I'll need you to show me that joy is found in following Christ. I'll find myself stuck in bad habits. I'll need you to show me the way out. I'll need you to show me the way out. I'll need you. I'll need you. I'll need you. I'll need you to point me toward Christ when no one else will. To point me toward Christ when no one else will. Mm. Makes me cry every time I hear that. <laughs> Our children need us. You know, we know, we all love this passage, right? Children, obey your parents. Right? We love that one. But you ever understand what sandwiched that? You know, it's the middle. It's what we all want. But what comes before and after to make it work? Well, it's what you've been focusing on. Marriage, Ephesians 5 comes before it. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself. And the wife must respect her husband. Why do you expect your children to obey you if you don't do what was stated by God before it? You want to be a great parent? Be a great married couple. Mm -hmm. That's right. Serious. Yeah. God created married in Eden, then they got out of Eden because of sin, and then children came. There's, there's an order of things. Is your marriage portraying the loving nature of Jesus and the submissive spirit of the church? Because if they don't see the husband loving the wife, they'll begin to doubt whether Jesus will ever really love them. If they don't see the wife submit to the husband, why should they ever submit to Jesus' commands? You know, here's a great quote from a program called Growing Kids God's Way. I don't agree with everything they teach, but they got some great principles. It says, the greatest overall influence that you're going to have in parenting will not come while you're in the role as a mother or father, That's right. but rather while you're in the role as a husband and wife. That's right. When a child perceives more weakness than strength in your marriage, it creates a low-level anxiety that is produced and ultimately affects every form of learning in their life. If you want to train and impress them, you've got to be married first. We've got to lead the way. Very quickly, some things we've done in our family. We have family devotionals where we, we rotate it. So each week, one of the kids and, and one of us will lead the family devotional. They pick the meal that we're going to have. If they're old enough, they even have to cook it. Okay? They pick the scripture that they want to have a devotional on, and they pick an activity. Of course, we've had to train the younger ones that cereal doesn't work as a dinner, okay? But I'll tell you, it's amazing. They could, they could be sitting there like one of the children could just be like, but the minute they're in charge, 
Boy, they're up there. Say, hey, you, turn your scriptures. <laughs> it's been awesome. One devotional I led, and this is just really weird how I, ha- I just, I just felt like encouragement wasn't present in our family. We're so busy, we just didn't stop encouraged. So I did this devotional encouragement. I said, you know what? Every time we have dinner, we're going to put the names of all the family, and we're going to pick one. And we have to say something or do something encouraging for each other. You realize we've done that at least five times a week now for almost a year? And I'll be honest, the first few, they ran out of encouraging things real fast. You have great teeth. Oh, great. But what's been amazing is we didn't stop. We kept doing it. And it's amazing how the kids started to find and look for things to encourage. And they even sometimes would like look to see who the name is because they wanted to encourage them. And we will continue to do that. These are some things to bring family in homes. But this leads to the second part of the sandwich. As we close on out here, I know time is ticking. Family led by fathers. This comes right after our children obeying the Lord. Marriage comes before it. Fathers. Doesn't say mothers. I don't think it's because God doesn't think mothers are important. He just thinks fathers are the real issue. You look at today's society, is it a lack of mothers? No. It's a lack of fathers. It says, fathers, do not exasperate your children. And there's two ways to do that. Be overbearing or completely disconnected. Either one is dangerous. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. This hit me right through my soul. What kind of father am I? If you've seen the movie Courageous, you understand the importance of this. Well, I decided, especially with the bumps I was having with my son, that I've got to change. And I heard from a group in Austin that they had done this thing where they'd meet with dads before church, and they weren't making a big deal of it, but I was like, you know what, maybe I need to do that. I need help as a father with my son. So I just threw it out there. Okay, guys, every Sunday morning, an hour before church, any dad who wants to or dad-to-be or who thinks they'll be a dad, we're going to have an open devotional. (laughs) And I've been amazed how we've had as many as 40 dads show up, some as little as five. I don't care how many are there. I'm going to be committed to it. I go there every Sunday. And it has been the most life-changing thing for me. Me sharing the struggles I'm going through and them sharing theirs, realizing we're all in this together. Them challenging me, them calling me higher. And I've been amazed how that alone, and we focused on some specific stuff. We read this book called Training Them Diligently. It's a whole book that's based on 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17. Train, review, correct, and, and train in righteousness. And that's what we focused on the whole fall. And I was so encouraged that not so long ago, as I began to focus on me and not my son, I found a little letter left on my keyboard. It's from my son. Saying how much he appreciated me. How much he noticed the change. Guys, we can make a difference. But we got to step up. We decided even with the men, we have a men's midweek every month. We're going through the book, Resolute. Inspired by the movie Courageous. Just this last week, I asked a question. It was very convicting. Who of you have ever been told by your dads that you were a man? Almost 100 guys. Only two hands went up. And who of you are preparing your sons to be men? I was convicted. Guys, it's time for fathers to lead their families. I had to repent. I had to change. What's amazing is I've done that, my son has changed. We're reading scriptures every morning now before we go to school. 
He's asking me questions. He's getting more vulnerable. Why? Because I've changed first. He's seen it. And I believe when we do that, great things can happen. The thing I realize is the only time I was trying to train my children was during discipline. How well do you learn <laughs> during that time? I don't know about you, but if I'm being disciplined, learning is the last thing on my mind. I'm like, I'm turning ears off. I'm just trying to wait it out until I get out of there. And my children are no different. Deuteronomy said, train them when you get up, when you walk, when you go down. If we're not training them outside of discipline, then you're not training them. The best time for the learn is when it's in a positive environment. Train them to think they didn't know before they do the thing you have to discipline. And as I've made that time, another thing I have done, I appreciate my wife's support, is I rotate my kids every Wednesday before school. I'll